Today's reading is from Zechariah, Zechariah 2, um, verses 10 to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9. Sing and rejoice, daughter Zion, for lo, I will come and dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord on that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all people, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And to him he said, See, I have taken your guilt away from you, and I will clothe you with festal apparel. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with the apparel. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Then the angel of the Lord assured Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua, high priest, you and your colleagues who sit before you, for they are an omen of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. For on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven facets, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the guilt of this land in a single day. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, you shall invite each other to come under your vine and fig tree. Here ends the reading. So the second reading is taken from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2, verse 1 to 17. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he, he was at home. So many gathered around that uh, there were no longer room for them not even in the front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sons are forgiven.' Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in that way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, paralytic, your, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. 
But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him and he taught them. And he was walking along. He saw Levi's son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have come to call, not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Uh, It's uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, uh, you may hear (laughs) through my voice that I've uh, been blessed by my kids with a little cold, so that's why I'm wearing a mask when I'm closer to you, but uh, I've taken it off for now. Uh, the, this morning, as we gather, we're through September, uh, looking at some pictures of Jesus, and so the picture that we're presented to us this morning from Mark's Gospel is a picture of Jesus as the one who eats with uh, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, the one that heals uh, the paralytic, the one who is able to forgive sins. And so this Jesus is is the one that we're talking about as we gather uh, this morning. I wonder when you have people for lunch, uh, what goes through your mind as you're preparing yourself to have people over? How do you feel when someone's coming to dinner? Uh, maybe you're like us and you go around the house tidying it all up because you don't want them to really see your house looking the way it currently looks. Uh, maybe you're, if, if you're a modern person going, what's the list of dietary requirements? How am I going to cater for all these people and keep all of them happy? Uh, maybe you're wondering, are they going to like the food that I cook? Do they, what sort of food do they like? Um, maybe you're thinking, well... I wonder if I bring out the good crockery or just give them the normal stuff. If if you've been eating with Jesus and the tax collectors and sinners, what additional thoughts might have gone through your mind? Tax collectors and and sinners, what are the things that I need to hide? What are the things that I need to put away so that they're not stolen by the, the people visiting my house? I wonder what they're going to think. I wonder what other people are going to think when they see these people turning up and eating at my house. Uh, How do you feel when someone comes to dinner? At one level, we feel that we're being evaluated, and so we want to put on the the best show for the people that are visiting us. I I wonder after you've uh, cooked dinner, how, how do we handle receiving feedback? 
when someone says, oh, that was, that was great food, that feels really good, <laughs> doesn't it? It feels good to get positive feedback. And, you know, we, we say things like, oh, you shouldn't have, you're, you're, you're too kind, you're, you're too generous, oh, it was nothing. Uh, we, we, we love positive feedback. And that, how about when you get uh, less awesome feedback? <laughs> How about when someone says that it was less than good? Uh, there's a number of different responses. Someone that hears that might be the person that hears those words. They go in, they fill them up a little bit, hears more, they fill them up, and they, they bottle them until eventually they kind of burst it on someone else. I can't believe I had all these people for dinner, and this is what they said about the food that I served. Uh, maybe you're like that. Maybe you're, you're a person that receives less than awesome feedback and, and you bottle and burst it somewhere else. Uh, maybe you're the, the world's uh, best at a counterpunch. Uh, that wasn't really nice what you served up there. Well, last time I ate at your place, it wasn't good. <laughs> maybe you're the, the super defensive kind of, whatever someone else says, you can come up with a comeback. And so they say something and immediately comes to mind that conversation that you had two and a half years ago and the thing that they did wrong. Maybe you're the, the perfect counterpunch defensive person. Maybe you're the person that kind of turns in on themselves and just kind of slowly gets crushed and take everything personally. How do we handle receiving feedback from others? It feels good when we get positive feedback, but some people are even dismissive of positive feedback. How good are you at evaluating feedback and coming to an accurate view of yourself? Uh, how about giving feedback? I think as Australians, we're, we're really, really good at giving uh, critical feedback, helpful, constructive feedback, I think we like to frame it as. And we're, we're particularly good at doing that about our leaders, and our leaders probably don't hear from our, us that they're, they're great leaders often, but they, they will often hear that they're not so good leaders from us, and we're, we're often really good at noticing the, the gaps uh, rather than uh, celebrating the good things. Uh, I wonder how you are at giving feedback. So in the middle of that, how do, how do you go... How do we go at evaluating ourselves? Someone says something to you and you say, oh, I can, I can see a little bit of truth in what they're saying, but, but this isn't really true. Uh, maybe when people give you feedback, you're the, the kind of dismissive person that can't hear anything. And, and so someone says, oh, that, that, that food wasn't particularly nice. And no one generally says that these days. But so someone say, gives you some feedback and you say, well, you know, that's just your opinion. Everyone else seems to like I've never heard that from anyone else. Maybe like you're the defensive, dismissive person to feedback. How do you go at evaluating yourself? Is it an accurate picture you feel like you've got of who you are in relationship with other people? Uh, a sign of, of great maturity is that you're able to take feedback, positive and good, and uh, evaluate yourself in the light of what has been said. What about, you know, we're in church, it's Sunday. How does God evaluate us? Uh, you may see on my slide two new categories, holy and not holy. 
the, the categories that God gives us, uh, that, that we're holy before him, that is that we have lived the way that he's called us to live and loved other people well and loved him well. That is, uh, we have a concern not just for not doing the wrong thing, but we also have a concern for doing the right thing because sin is not just uh, I've done the wrong thing. It's actually, think of an archer shooting an arrow at a target. It's when the archer misses the mark. That's what sin to, to sin is, to miss the mark. So we can not shoot an arrow of love that we're called to shoot. We, we can not love the tax collector and sinner in the way that we're called to love. And, but we can also do completely the wrong thing. Both things are considered not holy in God's sight. How does God evaluate us? And, and so as you're thinking of that, uh, you, you might look at, like me at the things that we do and you might say things like this. Well, I'm just human. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I didn't mean to. That isn't me. Uh, I didn't have time. Uh, well, one of the things that, that we often say to our kids, because, you know, when kids do the wrong thing and they get called out on it, uh, they're, they're usually really defensive. I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to. And one of the things that we say to them is, well, what's happened? Has, has it affected the other person? And I say, yes. Well, then we say to the kids, well, at some level, you need to own the effect that you've had, even if it wasn't the intent that you had when you did that. And, and so we need to be able to evaluate not only ourselves, but uh, we need to evaluate the, the way that we operate accurately. How, do, how does God evaluate us? He, he doesn't go, uh, well, you know, they're, they're not holy, but they're just human. Actually, God has an expectation on us that we would live uh, holy lives, that we would love other people well, that we would love him well in life. And so when we don't do that well, he doesn't just say, well, you're just human. He says there's a problem here. You're not operating in relationship with me and other people the way that you were designed to operate in relationship. And so you're not holy. And the transition between not holy and holy is not something that we can work ourselves. If you... Followed along the Bible reading this morning, we had a reading from uh, Mark's uh, Gospel, and so that's on page 813. And so, so Jesus uh, takes in the paralytic. Now, I don't know if you thought about it too much, but the paralytic had to be lowered in. He had arms and legs that wasn't working. And what was Jesus' response to him as he wanted something of Jesus? Your sins are forgiven. The, the, the critics that want to give him feedback say, well, why does this fellow, verse 7, speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so what Jesus is saying is that he is God. He's able to forgive sins. So you see this transition between not holy and holy is only breached by God. I can't become holy by doing a certain amount of good things. I've heard before some people will say, oh, to be a Christian is just to be a person that, that does good to other people. And in, in, their, in their mind, it's almost like karma, what is, what is being weighed up. If you do enough good things, enough holy things, it might outweigh the not holy things 
uh, that we do. But, but actually, uh, only they recognize it in here, that the teachers of the law, that the only one that can forgive sins is God alone. And as long as we live with the not holy in our life, uh, we can't make that transition from not holy to holy apart from Jesus. And so Jesus looks at the, the person who is the paralytic, the person that's helpless in themselves. And that's a picture of how we are before God uh, in our own wrongdoing, in our unholiness. And, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And their response is, well, and when their response is, well, only God can do it. And so Jesus says, well, uh, he's, he's, he's effectively saying he is God. Uh, but his, his question to them is this, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Verse 9, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. But this but I say this so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What's he saying here? Uh, for you to pass from a place of not holy to holy, that is uh, harder than a person that can't walk or move themselves coming to a place of full healing and walking. For you to move into a place, so what's not holy? You're, you're out of right relationship with God. For you to move from a place of not being in a right relationship with God to being in a right relationship with uh, God and other people, only God can help us make that transition. And until we make that transition in him, we find ourselves in this place of not holy. And so what God, what, God, what Jesus cares about most for this paralytic is that his sins will be forgiven, that all that would separate him from God and others will be dealt with. But God doesn't just care about uh, sin. Uh, God doesn't just care about what we've done that is wrong. God cares about wholeness. And so Jesus' response after he's taught them this thing is to say, take up your mat and walk. And this paralytic is healed. And everyone is amazed because they've never seen anything like it. But the real amazing truth here is that Jesus is the one that has enabled someone to move from a place of not holy to holy. Jesus, the one who then goes on to eat, uh, not with the, the people that want to celebrate him and tell him great things, but with Levi. And he comes to Levi, who's sitting in his tax booth, and he says to him, follow me. No one was inviting Levi to dinner. Levi was the guy that no one wanted to see because he's the one that would call in the taxes that they obviously owed. He's the one that would come in and go, oh, you've got a lot of riches here. I thought you said you couldn't pay your debt. Levi was the one that Jesus ate with, and he ate with the tax collectors and sinners. So the, the good news of the gospel is this, that even though we have been considered by God not holy, Jesus evaluates us as we are. And through his death on the cross has paid what is necessary to take those who are not holy and move them to a place of holiness in him. You see, Jesus uh, sees us 
as we actually are. When other people evaluate us, they, they kind of, and we're probably right in saying, they don't see the whole picture. They, they don't really know me. But actually, Jesus evaluates us as we are, as who we are, knowing our thoughts, what we've done. Uh, I mean, the paralytic uh, with arms and legs not working probably couldn't have done too much physical against someone else, but we don't know what he did with his thoughts. But Jesus took people like him and the tax collectors and the sinners, evaluated, known for who they fully were, and brought forgiveness. When we think of the, the, the queen in, in her passing, she was someone that said this of her Christian faith. Throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. When you're in the position of being the queen, I wonder how much feedback she would regularly get. Negative feedback, letters of feedback, News giving feedback, nations giving feedback. Now, I'm sure she got lots of positive feedback as well, but how did she live in this place of overwhelming feedback? How did she evaluate herself? Through her relationship with Jesus. And what happens when you begin to see, what, what happens when we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us is it enables us to be in this position that we're not threatened by what other people might say. We're not shaped by what other people have saying, said. We begin to be shaped by what God says of us. You see, Jesus... Uh, his forgiveness, it changes us. He changes us. Uh, you, you've probably heard this secular advice that if you want to give someone negative feedback, go up to them and tell them five good things and then package in the bad thing and then tell them another good thing. And at the end of it, hopefully they've remembered that bad thing and you haven't made them too, feel too bad about themselves. I'm sure all of us have heard that advice. I'm sure we've, we've probably done the... The, the bad sandwich uh, with the good on the outside before ourselves. But God sees us as we actually are. Maybe we hit the mark when we give people feedback, uh, but when someone evaluates you or me accurately and yet loves us, it changes us. When the love of God comes in and affirms you that you are loved in spite of what you've done, that you are treasured, that you are his own, it changes us. When we're declared not holy and yet he says, you're mine and I love you, it changes us. We, we recognize in a, in a secular environment that uh, people need to hear good things and we need to encourage people. But God's the one that knows us better than anyone else. And he's the one that actually, when Jesus came, it says he came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And so that's why we find him eating with tax collectors and sinners. Because he cares about us when we're trapped in the evaluations and the feedback of others and even ourselves. He cares to restore us to a place of design and wholeness. See, God's plan for each of you is, is wholeness 
in him. That you'd no longer be defined by what other people have said. That we would no longer be defined by what we've said ourselves, but that we would begin to see ourselves the way he's created us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with others in the world. And when you know that, when I know that, because I know that, it enables me to thrive in a way that I'm not crushed by the expectations and the pressures of others. That's what we deep down need. So how do we experience this change? Well, we, we, we experience this change as, as we hear his word, as we worship him, as we remind each other of who we are in our relationship with Jesus and not who we are as a result of our actions. We all miss the mark. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also says uh, if anyone says that uh, they are without sin, they are a liar and the truth of God is, is not in them. Because at a deep level we all know that we miss the mark, we make mistakes, we're not holy, we might not mean to, we might not do what we know we should have done to love someone really well. But God wants to restore us to a place of intent and design that we would do that. When we're really concerned about what we've done wrong and overburdened by it, uh, it's hard to remember what we're actually called to do. And so God, in forgiving us, frees us from the expectations and the opinions and the accusations of others to live as we were made to live in relationship with him. Uh, Zechariah is, is a beautiful picture of how this happens. Uh, so Zechariah uh, speaks to this person, uh, Joshua. Uh, the, the Old Testament name for Jesus is Yeshua. Uh, so Joshua. Uh, so Joshua stands uh, before the angel and right by his side is Satan. <laughs> and Satan is there what, what hand uh, at his right hand uh, to accuse because that's what he does. He accuses. And if you find that there is a critic on your shoulder that crushes you in life, that's Satan. And he uses other people. He uses the world. He even uses the, the narrative that we tell ourselves sometimes. And so Joshua is, is standing before the angel of the Lord uh, and Satan's standing there to accuse him. And the Lord says to Satan, I, I rebuke you. That is, this is not the truth about this one. The Lord who has chosen this one, Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this uh, person a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua, what's he, what's he standing before the angel of the Lord in filthy clothes? Think of yourself as after you've been cleaning a chimney or something like that. Filthy clothes. And he doesn't say uh, to Joshua, get rid of these clothes, put on something nicer. I, I can't believe that you're here standing in my presence wearing this thing. He, he doesn't say that to Joshua. He, he says to those who are standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. 
And he says to Joshua, See, I have taken your guilt away from you, and I will clothe you with festal apparel. And he puts a clean turban on his head and a clean, uh, the clean turban on his head, and he clothes him with clean apparel. And so he moves from this place of being in filthy, stained clothes. What does he do? He just stands there. And that's a picture of what God does with us in Jesus. As we stand before him and as we put our faith in Jesus, he takes off the, the filthy clothes, the stains that both the world and others have thrust upon us that we've taken on ourselves, takes off those clothes and says to us, this is no longer your story, puts on fresh, clean clothes, and through him we make this transition from not holy to holy, standing pure before God. It says in Zechariah uh, that this is a picture of what the Lord of hosts will do. Verse 9, I will remove the guilt of this land in a single day. What happened in a single day? Jesus died on the cross and the guilt of the land, the sin was dealt with as his blood was shed for us. What's the picture that follows? On that day, says the Lord of hosts, you should invite each other to come under your vine and your fig tree. What's the picture? When we move from not holy to holy through forgiveness, relationship is restored to a place of intimacy, uh, the, the vine and the fig tree gathering together. See, God's intent is that we will be restored to each other through forgiveness, that we will be restored to him through forgiveness. And so when we forgive others, and when we receive this forgiveness ourselves, it changes us and we go through this transition that we may not see physically, but when I, when I see people pray and forgive people, it generally is witnessed physically as the burden of carrying what other people have said and what we have done is lifted. And suddenly there's a lightness and a joy that comes from a transition that only God can do. So this is a picture of Jesus, the one who eats with tax collectors and sinners, the one who wants to see redemption happen in our lives and in the lives of others. This is the Jesus that we follow. Uh, let me pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come to you, the one who delights in eating with uh, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Jesus, we come to you, the one who loves us and cares for us. The one who has purpose for us beyond brokenness. The one that sees us uh, as we are, the way that no one else sees us and yet loves us and calls us to a place of restoration through forgiveness in him. Lead us to understand your great love for us. Change us by your love, Lord. Redeem our brokenness and bring holiness. Where we have felt paralyzed, Lord, 
uh, by brokenness. Thank you that through your forgiveness you call us to take up our mat and walk. Thank you that you don't leave us as you call us to walk, but that you strengthen us and you fill us with hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we walk life with you and learn what it means to walk life with you, that you take us on a path of restoration. So with this in mind, uh, we're going to pray the prayer that, that Jesus uh, taught us to pray. It's a, it's a simple prayer of, of acknowledging who he is, uh, asking for his forgiveness, and seeking his will. So join with me in praying the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from a time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Uh, we're going to continue in prayer uh, for the world as, as well as our church and uh, the Queen as well. Uh, Father, thank you uh, that you not only care for us, but you care for the world that we live in. And Lord, uh, we acknowledge the, the, the freedom and the relative wealth that we live in, and we are thankful to you that you are the giver of all good things. Uh, Lord, as we look at uh, Pakistan and the, the devastation brought by floods and the, the many victims, uh, Lord, we're aware that we don't see the fullness of this picture and the devastation in communities and, and the poverty uh, and the, the trajectory uh, that the country is on as a, as a result of this devastation in their land. Lord, we pray uh, that you would give wisdom to their leaders to use limited resources well, uh, that you would uh, protect them, uh, Lord, from each other and for, from people of greed, uh, Lord, that you would fill them with grace to love well. Help our uh, countries around the world to love well nations uh, less fortunate than our own. Uh, Lord, we, we think of our own nation and we, we think of the election uh, approaching in our state and we're, we're very much aware that we need leaders uh, like the, the Queen who has passed and so, Lord, raise up leaders in our country who can lead well with grace and love and favor. Our Lord, we pray for those in our church. Lord, we pray for those that are with us this morning, for those who are unable to be with us because they are sick or still distant because of COVID. We pray, Lord, for each person, Lord, that they would know your healing and your restoration, uh, that they would know your, your loving kindness. Uh, may they find uh, comfort in, in your love and may you restore them in the same way that you restored the paralytic to be of full health in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, as we seek to live out uh, your call on us as a church,
Uh, equip and enable us to be your people. Help us to see ourselves as you see us and to see others as you see them and love them. Help us, Lord, not to define ourselves or other people by the mistakes that we've made, but help us to be a people of grace that extend grace to others. Uh, Lord, as we think of the death of Queen Elizabeth, uh, thank you that you are the giver of life, that you make us in your own image and that you call us to reflect your truth and light. We thank you for the life of Elizabeth, uh, our late queen, for her love of family, for the faithful devotion, her dutiful commitment to her nation and the nations of the Commonwealth. Thank you, Lord, for her humble service, her steadfast courage, her loving leadership, her royal dignity, her kind humanity. Uh, we praise you for the courage that she's showed in testing times, uh, the depth of her faith in Jesus and the witness that she bore in word and deed. Above all, we thank you for your gracious promises to you, all your servants, living and departed, that she will be made one again in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Almighty God, uh, you are the one who provides power to all people. Uh, we thank you that you give us leaders, and we pray, Lord, that you will bless your servant, King Charles, and all who are in authority under him, that they may order all things in wisdom with equity, righteousness, and peace. Let justice and holiness, Lord, reign. I gift him uh, with the spirit of wisdom and discernment that he may know you better and lead well. That being devoted to you with his whole heart, he may so wisely govern in safety and peace to the honour and glory of your name and the good of your church and your people. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord, may we see your kingdom come and your will done as it was uh, through the Queen Elizabeth's rule. We pray through King Charles. For we pray it uh, so that you, God, will be lifted high in all the earth and that the reign of your Son, Jesus Christ, will be established on earth. Majesty above majesties reign without end. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>